uh, in review, uh, we talked about Archie Watkins, my grandpa, being a navigator and being able to look at where he was at and look to the stars and look to the map and look to the ground to figure out how to navigate. And I'm giving you just some tools when you're disappointed. Where do we look? And last night, <clears throat> the first one was, we need to look to somebody who has a better perspective, like a perspective from the top of the mountain looking down that can see the whole picture. And it talked about how we often give that mountaintop perspective to our culture to narrate what's happening. And that shapes kind of our expectations for life when we get disappointed. The Psalms are not the only place that give us that perspective, but the Psalms are designed as poetry and songs and prayers that don't just tell us this theology, but root our heart and emotion and mind and lives in that world and the reality. So that was the first one is we want to look down from the mountain, the perspective from down the mountain to get a true perspective today. Oh, we're going to talk about looking forward and backwards, but I'm going to start with uh, just a Psalm. So if you guys would close your eyes and allow yourself to kind of inhabit the world that the Psalmist is writing about. This is Psalm 73. Surely God is good to his people, to those who are pure in heart. For as for me, my feet had almost slipped and I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant. I envied the wicked. When I saw their prosperity, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong and they're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace and they are clothed them, they've clothed themselves with violence. From their calloused hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and they speak with malice, with arrogance, and they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and they drink up their waters in abundance. And I looked at them and I envied them. They say, how would God know? Does the most high know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like them, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destination. Surely you place them on a slippery ground and you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they're destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They're like a dream when somebody awakes. And when you arise, Lord, you will forget them as a fantasy. When my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered, When I envied them, I was senseless and I was ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I'm always with you. 
You hold me by the right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me into your glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And the earth, listen to this, the earth has nothing that I desire besides you. This world has nothing that I desire besides you. My flesh may fail. My heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He is my portion. He is my strength. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near you, God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your deeds. Father, we want to know you in that way. And I'm just going to confess, uh, Lord, there are many times that I look at the wicked and envy. Uh, when I see comfortable lives and I lust after that. Um, Father, but my heart believes that you are better than all their possessions. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would attune and align our hearts and our emotions and minds to this world now. When from above the psalmist can see that you are far more wondrous, your majesty is far greater than anything else this world has to offer. Help us today as we open your scriptures to be calibrated to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to keep encouraging to give um, time to the Psalms, to read them slowly, and to try and inhabit their world. Uh, I think these questions I wrote down as like things that I've said and things as a pastor over the last 16 years that I've heard people say. As we talk about disappointment, uh, there's often these questions of like, I'm a Christian now, but I can't do all those fun things that they do. So like how close to the fun can I get? How much can I drink? How far can I go with my girlfriend? How much money can I spend on myself? How much money do I have to give to others? There's always this sense of like, I'm disappointed in what the Bible is calling me to do, and I'm wondering how close can I get to what I was before where I can enjoy the old life, and my pastor will still say I'm faithful as a Christian. Does that resonate with you? I've felt that before. How about this? You look back and you're like, how come they get to do this? I wish I could just. There's another set of questions like, I don't understand, uh, or you don't understand what I've been through. There's this sense that like when we've been wounded and we've been hurt and we've been through seriously difficult situations, there's almost, uh, you can't speak into it because I've been wounded at such a level that this stuff doesn't apply to me, okay? And you have to realize the psalmist, most of the psalms are attributed to a people who are greatly suffering. David, who is running for his life, his own child is out hunting him to kill him. You know, there's, he's lost everything. There's, he's lost a child. He's, uh, he's been betrayed by his whole nation. There's, there's a thought that, what I've been through 
kind of usurps everything that anyone else has been through. And so God understands that what he's talking about here does not apply to my situation. My situation's too hard. I felt that. I just don't have what it takes. You feel like, man, adulting is hard. Life is hard. There's constantly obstacles. And I just don't think I can ever be a person who succeeds. I've heard people say, I can't change. This is who I'm going to be. Like what's prescribed in the Bible for our sanctification and our growth and our maturity doesn't apply to me because I'm the one case where it's just like, I've tried everything and it doesn't work. Nobody loves me. Nobody sees me. I have no hope. And then there's this, I could never forgive. I will never be able to get over this. And those are like legitimate feelings. And I think might even be true. You could never forgive. And yet the story that we read in the Bible and the reality is that there is a God that gives us power and a supernatural power for healing that you can't even imagine. For the worst trauma that you can imagine the people of God going through, and yet they're the people singing praises, and there's healing in their nation. And the unthinkable thing of loving your enemy, Jesus on the cross, as they tortured him and crucified him, the power that has come out of his mouth to forgive those that have killed him is now the power that's in his people. Yes, you can forgive. There's a different story that the Bible's teaching us. I want to start this morning by uh, talking about the Exodus. If you uh, actually, if you turn to Exodus 15 with me, Moses, there's a song of Moses. This is actually just referenced in our uh, Revelation series. Although the lyrics are quite different. If you don't know the story of Exodus, really quick, and I'm going to kind of use, uh, I'm going to use, I wish I had some barriers, but if I get in front of this, this is going to scream. Um, can I use this? No, I don't know. Okay. Imagine the Red Sea. Okay. The Israelites, I'm trying to stay away from the speaker. Okay. Imagine the Red Sea over here. Uh, the Israelites, 400 years of oppression in slavery. They're crying out for mercy, and God sends Moses a redeemer. You know, you guys know that redemption word is a word for like slave language. Like to redeem a slave is to set them free from their master. So they're under the master Pharaoh, and Moses comes in, and with the power of God, God confronts Pharaoh in some like supernatural plagues that come until finally Pharaoh and the Egyptians tap out, and they say, get out of here. In fact, they're taking off all their jewelry and they're hanging them on their slaves as they leave through the Red Sea. And I want you guys to think about this as like a baptism from their old life through the waters, baptized in the Red Sea, and now they're in the wilderness. This is a painting of that moment of them exiting Egypt. And here's the song that he sings. In Exodus 15, 2, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He's my God and I will praise him. My father is God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army, he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in that sea. 
The deep waters have covered them. They sank into the depths of a stone, uh, like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. You were 400 years in oppression. These are the people that bullied you, that murdered you, that whipped you and made your life miserable. They treated you like you were nothing. And God came in and in a matter of a month, just swept them out. And now you are free. And they are singing about God's goodness and his mighty power. Nobody can compete with him. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who oppressed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue. I will overtake them. I will divide their spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and I will hand and hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like our Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. I mean, I've had some like amazing triumphant moments in my life as a family in my, in my sports with, with uh, teammates. I've had these moments where it's just a euphoric, but I cannot imagine as they look back at the Red Sea and where they just came from and the gold that is hanging off of them, that their God just delivered them from the almighty Pharaoh, who in that world would have been the highest on the planet, the most powerful, like this, Here they are in freedom, more wealthy. They're ready to start their nation. What an amazing feeling. And when they look back at what he did, they can't help but sing of his goodness and his power, right? Turn the page. Sixteen three. Then the Israelites said to them, this said to Moses and Aaron, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. I wish we would have died with all of those people in Egypt. When we were in Egypt, we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food that we wanted. But you, God, have brought us out here into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. One chapter later, Lord, you are the best thing in the world. What you have done, they're in the wilderness filled with wealth. Unbelievable. We praise you as they look back at what God has done and they're filled with joy. Their circumstance has not changed. They're still free. They're still wealthy. They're still in the same place they were before. And now they're miserable and they wish they would die. And actually they're cursing God. What in the world? Same circumstance, praise and now cursing. 
Now here's kind of like, I often, if you guys, how many of you love being stuck in traffic jams? Raise your hand. Love. You love it. All right. We got one weirdo in the back. All right. Nobody. Yeah, we got one liar in the back. I, sometimes I get the biggest kick out of traffic jams because I am watching everybody around me. Okay. And there is one person that is like radios up and they're just like beating the horn, the steering wheel. And they're looking at the person next to them and they're like singing. And it's just like, they're having an amazing time. And then the next person is like hitting the steering wheel and like doing this. You know, and they're just like, and then the next person is just like this, you know, and then the next person's like this. And it's just funny. We're all in the same circumstance and some people are having a great time and some people are having a miserable time. Some people want to murder. That's why I was like, that's me. That's me. And then when you really want to murder is when you realize the whole traffic jam was just because a car ran out of gas and everybody's looking at him. And then the people that are singing are just like, what? What are you doing? (laughs) Same circumstance. How can we have different hearts? I told you my run out of gas story, and that's not the worst thing that's ever happened to me, okay? But it's the most clear picture in my mind of Same circumstance, one time I just feel like life's not worth living. The next time I'm praising God and I'm singing down the road. Same circumstance. Disappointment. There are things that we can look to in our disappointment where we praise God and we feel full of joy. And there are things that we can look at in disappointment that make us curse God and feel completely hopeless. Same circumstance. This is the wilderness. So chapter 15, they're praising God. Chapter 16, they're cursing God. Looking back to what God does. So we're talking about Archie Watkins navigating disappointment. When you look back at what God did, praise, rejoicing, gratitude in the midst of the difficulty. When you look forward to the promise where they're like, And we're going to the Holy Land, is what they say at the end, the end of the song. And you're going to deliver us to your promise. When you look forward to God's promise, it produces a hope in you and a courage to go through, excuse me, to go through the despair and the distress and the difficult circumstances. Okay, so, okay, let's go back to our Red Sea. Enslaved 400 years freed by the mighty hand of God through the Red Seas into a wilderness, not a great place to be. And God says, I'm going to take you to a paradise, another garden of Eden that I have prepared for you. You're going to live in cities that you didn't even build. You're going to eat from orchards that you did not even plant. And I'm going to take you there and I'm going to actually live there with you. And I'm going to make you a great nation. And that nation's greatness, I'm going to use that nation to actually bless the entire world. The nations that have always warred against you and kept you down, they're actually going to be jealous of you because of your God. Man, that's where we're headed. But we got to go through this wilderness to get there. Now, if you know your geography, the only 
different. I mean, Egypt is here and Israel is here. And like Gaza is this little strip right here. I mean, this is a, this is an easy route. Now, taking hundreds of thousands of people through the desert is not easy. But this is not a long road from Egypt to Israel, to the promised land. And yet, they find themselves hopeless and relapsing. Look at this. If you look back in, in gratitude, you're filled with rejoicing. If you look forward to where God's taking you, you're filled with hope. But if you just look here, hopelessness and relapse, what is their relapse? What were they desiring here in the wilderness? Chapter 16. Man, remember how great it was when we were slaves? And we were preparing food for our masters, and we could smell the meat cooking. Remember, we'd sit around the meat pots. We could smell that. Man, those are the good days. I wish we could go back to that. How many of you guys, your salvation story is you were enslaved to sin, you were in darkness, you were participating in wickedness and evilness and and alienated from God and ignorant of his ways and suffering. And you walked through the waters of baptism ready. I'm ready to follow Jesus. I'm excited for this life. And then disappointment hits and you're like, man, that life looks pretty good. And you kind of like start to ask your pastor questions like you're towing the line of the Red Sea, looking back at your old life. And you're like, pastor, like, can we do that? How, how much of that can we do? And it's like the, the meat pots. You're looking back, not with what God did to deliver you, but you're looking back with lust And what Psalm 73, I read, David said, I almost slipped. I almost lost my footing and fell. You know why? Because I was looking back at the arrogant and the wicked and how great their life was. And I took my eyes off what God had done and where he's taking me. Three places we look. We look back with gratitude and we look forward with hope. You're between two baptisms. I don't know if you guys realize this. There's two baptisms. There's this, when I go from death to life, but we're in wilderness right now until we cross over what was the Jordan River, which is our death and resurrection. This is new creation is the promised land. But right now we're in the desert. And some of the confusion of the Israelites was like they thought they were home now. And they're like, home sucks. This sucks. Where's the meat pots? I haven't seen, you know, they start complaining about God or to God. And all of a sudden he rains down some flour and bread and they're scooping it up and squishing that stuff together and eating it. Couldn't have been that tasty, but God is providing in miraculous ways. And they're like, you know what? We haven't had meat in forever. And they're like complaining to God. And all of a sudden pigeons are falling out of the sky feeding hundreds of thousands. And it's like, you want meat? You want bread? I got you. But this is not home. And I'm here to tell you, you're between two baptisms. You're not home yet. The African pastor was right. Our problem a lot of the time is we think this is home. And we're like, this sucks. 
Grandma's got cancer. I, we, this just happened to me. This is going wrong. I can't find that. This is it. This is what I've been saved to, the Israelites said. I want to go back. The reality is we've got a job to do and something that God has called us to in the wilderness before we get home. So where are you looking? Paul, the apostle Paul, tells us to look back. Turn to, turn to Ephesians 2. Let's go New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Here's what he says. As for you, you were, here's what he's doing. He's pointing back to our old life. You ready? You were dead in your transgressions and sins. You guys are like, what is transgressions? It's like you guys use the language of boundaries. You know, like you've created boundaries. There's boundaries in relationships and you've transgressed or you've passed those boundaries. This is what humanity ought never do. And you've gone past those boundaries. God has said, don't do this, and you've done it. In a marriage or in a relationship, there's boundaries that you make vows to one another, and you've crossed those boundaries. Those are transgressions. You were dead. In that old life, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed, when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. Let's look, at, look up real quick. And I highlighted those on, pur- on purpose. The old life, if you're lusting after that old life and you feel that temptation, listen, that's the normal part of a Christian life is to look back and lust after those things. There's a part of us that gravitates. It's called our flesh, okay? And it gravitates towards the ways of the world, but the ways of the world are set by the ruler of this world, which is the prince of the power of the air. And that ruler is at work in the world through his spirit. There is a spirit that is causing rebellion against God in our world. And I want us, Paul is pointing us back to go, that's what you were in. You were under control of the devil walking in his ways, led by his spirit. And you were dead. Verse three. All of us lived among them at one time, and we were gratifying the cravings of our flesh, that thing that desires sin, and we were following its desires. That language is like obedience language. You were not obeying God. Who were you obeying? Your desires. How much has our culture told us? You feel it, you go get it. You want it, go chase it. You follow what's in you and those instincts that want pleasure, position, possession, status, comfort, ease. You feel it, you go get it. You were following like a slave your desires, but because of his great love for us, even when we were dead, he loved us. And because of his rich mercy, he scooped us up out of an impossible situation, baptizing us and bringing us together with Christ. We were made alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. He saved us by his grace. And what does salvation look like in this story? 
means a life apart from God, following my desires as my master, to now a life with God, following the Lord as my master. This is our salvation. Looking back to what God did produces gratitude. Now, I uh, have a routine in my car when I drive into work. And part of that routine is to say this, Lord, I was dead. I was deserving of death. I was fully engaged in sin. Lord, I wanted nothing to do with you. And I know where this road leads apart from you. And I know the destruction that was, I was headed towards. And I was nothing I could do. All I could do was beg for mercy. And Lord, in your mercy, you scooped me up. You saved me. And I have a life with you now and a future with you. And just in one minute, I'm recalibrating my mind to gratitude. And when I don't do that, I get on the phone in my car or I listen to a podcast or like whatever it is, I don't calibrate. I'm just telling you the gratitude and rejoicing that I normally start with is not there. Looking back in our disappointment at what he has done brings rejoicing and relief. And then Paul tells us to look forward. He says this about us. He made known to us the mystery of his will. Do you ever wonder like, what is God up to in the world? What is he trying to do? What is God's mission? What is his purpose? What is he doing in the world? He says, I've made it known to you. This has been revealed to my people. What is it? According to his good pleasure, this is like what he's pleased to do. God is like, I'm so excited for the plans that I have for you. I'm going to share this plan, this purpose that I have. And this purpose is being fulfilled in Christ. Why did he send Christ? To put into effect when the times reach their end and their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. Do you guys understand what that means? Like sometimes we've been told a gospel of like, I'm going to live this life and I've got this thing called grace that when I die, I get to go to heaven. Whoo. Nice. Amen. That's great. Can I get an amen? amen? Yes. All right. That's great. It's bigger. It's bigger. Every bit of injustice that you've ever seen in this world, every regretful abuse or oppression, every fight, every murder, every war, every neglectful parent, every parent who's lost a child, every moment of grief, of death, all of those things are a world that has been disconnected from God and we've experienced all of this. There's a longing and a groaning in us that's like, this is not right. Julie and I have a hard time watching the news because it's so sad, just story after story of what our world is like disconnected from God. Here's what he's saying. Do you know what I'm doing? When I sent Jesus, do you know the mystery of my purpose, which I set forth in my son, is that I'm going to unite all things back together under Christ. He is going to be Lord over everything. And our hearts and every little bit of peace of us that's broken is going to be reunited. And every relationship that's gone sour is going to be reunited. And every nation, Palestinians and Jews, reconciled through Christ, 
brothers and sisters. Ukrainians and Russians reconciled through Christ in harmony. The prophets say, we're going to take our weapons, the instruments that we have built in our ingenuity to destroy each other, bombs and tanks and missiles and rockets, and we're going to melt down all our weapons, all our guns. That's right. You're going to have to give up your guns. They're going to melt it down. And they're going to take that and refashion that metal into pruning hooks and plowshares so that the nations can all be fed and everybody will eat and there'll be no poverty. He's reversing everything that has been undone by sin. This is the hope (laughs) that Paul is consistently telling us. You focus on that and this becomes endurable. You focus on that and you will become courageous. And when you tow the line, if you're going to tow the line in one of our baptisms and you tow this line and you're like, pastor, can I do that? Can we do that? How much of that can we drink? How much of that can we smoke? Can we, it's, this is legal. Can we do that now that it's legal? And we're looking back at that church. Look at Paul is saying, tow this line, the kingdom of God on the other side and go, whoa, can we do that? Can we love our neighbor? Can we reconcile this relationship that's broken? It's all reconciled over there. Is there any way we could reconcile it here? There's no racism there. Could we have a church here that looks like that church? Because they're all different colors and they're all different languages and they're all different cultures. They wear different clothes. Look at them. It's like the Olympic like opening ceremony and they're all singing about Jesus. Pastor, could we have that here? Those are the questions that Paul is pointing us to. And there is a disappointment. There's disappointment in that. Why? Because it's not that yet, is it? And Paul calls that a groaning, that we are groaning and waiting for this moment. Ephesians 1, later in the chapter, he says, I'm praying to you, church. This is Paul's prayer for you, that your eyes and your hearts may be opened like you would wake up in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you to. Where is hope? That's what lays ahead of us. He's praying, if they only knew what was coming, this momentary suffering would not destroy them. When you take your eyes off that hope and that inheritance, this glorious inheritance that we're going to receive, then all you have and you think this is it, there's one baptism into this life and you're like, this sucks we're getting screwed. I want to go back. Looking forward produces hope and courage, even in the midst of your trouble and suffering. I don't know if you've done much of a study on Paul's life. It's kind of a disaster. Like, let me give you some highlights. 
Obviously, we know this story before is he's in a high position amongst the Pharisees. He's overseeing the, the first murder of a Christian, Stephen. Paul is there overseeing it. He's imprisoning. He is the persecutor that's chasing down the Jesus people, and he's imprisoning him. And on his way, he gets knocked on his butt off his camel or donkey or whatever he was riding, horse, I don't know what he was riding, gets knocked on his butt and has a real encounter with Jesus. And the one who is killing the church and persecuting becomes the evangelist. Crazy story. But then his life, he loses everything. All of his status, he loses. In Philippians 3, he lays it out. He's like, I've, I have lost all my status all my position, everything. I've been beaten three times, I think, different. They executed him, and he survived. Okay, Romans, if the Romans were known for anything, they knew how to kill. They knew how to punish. They knew how to strike fear. It's the whole Hellenistic culture is I'm going to make such a spectacle of you and torture you to where everybody else goes, I will never go against the empire because I don't want that. They're masters of it. Three different times they executed him and he lived. He spent three nights out in the ocean, in the Mediterranean Sea, treading water for three days because his ship was wrecked. This dude has been imprisoned most of his life. Hungry, impoverished, no money, traveling the world, getting persecuted and spreading the gospel. We've been hard pressed, he writes. This has been hard. He's not denying that this is hard. This has been hard on every side of us, everywhere we go. But not crushed. We haven't been crushed. We've been perplexed and confused, like what is going on, but not despairing. We've been persecuted everywhere we go, but we've never been abandoned by God. We've been struck down, but we've never been destroyed. Your life of persecution and suffering and difficulty and impoverishment and losing status and losing pleasure and losing life. You know what he says in in Philippians 3? He goes, I look at all that stuff I lost and I go, that's rubbish. That looks like garbage. All the stuff I used to chase and that status and pleasure I had, now I look and it looks like a waste. That's garbage. Why? Compared to to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom sake I've suffered the loss of everything. And the person that's writing to us about courage and hope and joy is the one that says that old life that you're lusting after is not it. It's crap. That is crap. And it's controlled us like slaves. Our desires to follow that stuff has destroyed our lives. It's destroyed your relationships. It's destroying the world. And when you have that perspective, you go, I have Christ and he is what I need. Therefore, he says, we do not lose heart. We don't shrink back in the midst of our suffering, though outwardly, listen, Though outwardly these bodies are wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Look at this. These bodies are dying. You're dying. But inside the kingdom, that new human is growing. 
So it might look to the world like the church is getting beat up, persecuted, imprisoned. They've been marginalized. They've pushed through the outside. And he's saying, look closer because inside us, there's something rising up in us that looks more like that kingdom life than that. And the people can't see it. But the Roman executioners, as they were killing and executing the Christians, saw it. Lighting Christians on fire. And Nero's courts are being lit by Christians, children, women, husbands, families. And as like the early letters of the second century and third century say, and they were singing psalms as they were burning alive. And the Romans started to go, they're dying and there's something inside of them so courageous and hopeful in their death. Something is going on. And this small little persecuted people, one conversion at a time, began to spread out throughout all of the Roman Empire, up into Europe, down into Africa, and it started to spread. Paul says, this is wasting away. You look at my body, it's dying. You look at my spirit, it's being renewed every single day. And then he says this, our light and momentary disappointments. These things we're going through now, running out of gas on a freeway. Are you freaking kidding me? Paul's like, that's your illustration, Berger? (laughs) Running out of gas? Do you have any idea what I've been through? You're like, I experienced trouble one time. I ran out of gas twice. He's like, give me a break. I was swimming in the ocean for three nights right after I'd been stoned by the Romans. When he talks about these momentary troubles, they're the most traumatic things you can ever imagine being through. And he says, these are just momentary afflictions. But they're achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs all of this stuff. And so where do we fix our eyes? Archie Watkins, navigating disappointment. Where do you look? You look at your situation, you look at the stars, you look at the map, you look at the map, you look at the stars, you look at the ground, Where do we look? Paul says, fix our eyes. Look, not on what we see here, but on what is unseen in the kingdom of God. Since what is seen is temporary, all of this is going to pass. But that future hope, what is unseen, that's going to go on forever. That's the real stuff. Disappointment's real because we're in the wilderness. It's going to happen. You look back and you go, man, I had no hope and you saved me out of that slavery. I was headed down a bad place. And right now, Lord, you are with me in this place and you have a hope for me. I'm going to fix my eyes. I'm going to toe the line. And Jesus says this, seek first what? Seek first what? All of these things that you stress about, Jesus says, whether you're going to eat, what are you going to wear, what are you, all of this stuff that you're so worried about every single day and you're despairing of, he goes, look, I know that you need that stuff. Seek first his kingdom. I want that now. And all of this stuff will take care of itself. The invisible hand of God is going to move in your life and he's going to provide for you right at the right time. Some of you have already experienced it. 
Like, I cannot believe that just showed up right now. I cannot believe that opportunity opened up. I can't believe that friendship came into my life. I can't believe that just happened. He's providing what you need. You seek first the kingdom. How did he tell us to pray? Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, your kingdom come here in the wilderness as it is in heaven. What is our job in the wilderness? Can we do that? Let's do that here. Let's do that here. He says this, for we know that the earthly tent, he's talking about our body. No almost done. Um, Corey said I had no time limit today. It's on him. <laughs> he's like, we, I mean, we're going to have free time, but you could just preach the whole time. Guys, this is important. Our earthly tent, the body in which our soul is housed in right now, our earthly tent where we live in is destroyed. When that happens, we will have a building, a new body from God, an eternal house, an eternal body in heaven and the kingdom, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan. Ugh, I long for that day. Lord, how long do we have to wait? Lord, please. We're longing for that to be clothed instead in our heavenly bodies. Because when we're clothed, we will not be found naked. He has a new life and a new world and a new body for us. While we're in this body, in this home, we groan and are burdened. Why? Because we don't want to be without a home. We want to be with God in a new home, clothed in the body that he made for us. Therefore, we are always confident, for we live by faith, not by sight. He says this, I am not afraid to die. Those people that are after me, I'm not even worried about it. I'm longing so much for that, if you want to kill me, great. I will go be home with him. If you want to take all my possessions, that's fine. Because you know what? There's nothing on earth that I need more than him. And you can't take him away from me. I have what I need, but you won't have anything. I will have everything. You don't understand. You take away my position. I got everything. You take away my pleasure. I have everything. Paul's like in an invincible position. You can't do anything to me. Why? Because I'm groaning and I'm longing for that and it's coming. And the only thing you can do to me is send me there. Looking upward produces comfort. Here's the last thing. This is the last verse. Two verses. One verse. There we go. I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we've experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our, our ability to endure. What does that mean? I can't endure. Paul is saying, the stuff we were experiencing, we couldn't do. We could not get through it. I couldn't get through it. We despaired of life itself. Some of you have been there. 
I don't even want to live. Paul was there. I don't even want to live. I can't go through this trial. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on, what does it say? When I rely on myself to get through this, I go, I can't do it. Great. You're not supposed to. We might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raised Christ from the dead. Here's the last place that we look. When you're going through despair, you look for his strength. And it's okay to say, I can't do this. Perfect. I'll do it. The Lord says, I'll give you strength. God didn't give you hard things because he knows you can get through it. That's not true. Hard things are in your life and you're going to come to the realization, I can't do this. And he's going to go, I'll provide for you what you need. Okay, final slide is... Here's all our looking. We look down from the mountain to gain a perspective and understanding. We look back at his salvation, rejoicing and relief. We look forward to his promise, hope and change, or hope and courage, hope and change. Shout out Obama. Uh, look out to God. It's to be booed. Look up to God for comfort. This all went bad right there. Look up to God for comfort. All right, I'm going to pray and get out of here. Lord, we are so thankful. Uh, we were alienated and separated from all of this. This community, these friendships, this hope that we're speaking of, this love that endures forever, this steadfast grace that never changes, this eternal hope and glory that waits for us, this inheritance, this comfort that you give us, the courage and hope and rejoicing in our trials, we did not have access to any of it, Lord, because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were headed towards hell, away from you, arrogant. And yet in your mercy, you've saved us. Lord, it cost us nothing and it cost Christ his life. And now, Lord, fix our eyes on the things that are unseen, the eternal hope of glory that awaits us and give us hope and courage. Whatever is going on in this room that's despairing us, whatever version of groaning we have of like, we're not home yet, Lord, fix our eyes forward, fix our eyes backwards, and fix our eyes upwards. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.